Welcome to the GBC Sermon Podcast, a weekly podcast from Gymere Baptist Church in Sydney, Australia. I'm Roxanne Lawler, Associate Pastor. Thanks for joining us. Jesus is a masterful storyteller and teacher. In response to a question about how many times we should forgive our brothers and sisters, Jesus tells the parable of the unforgiving servant. It's a challenging story and it's meant to help us recognize how much we have been forgiven by God, contrasted with comparatively little we have to forgive others. This message explores five aspects of forgiveness and helps us to understand God's will for us, that forgiven people are forgiving people. Our reading this morning is entitled The Parable of the unmerciful servant from Matthew 18, starting at verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother and sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he, his wife, and his children, and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him, began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off, had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged, went on and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called that servant and you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Thanks, Bruce. Uh, Good morning, everybody. Uh, Lovely to see you here. And hi to our friends online. I hope that if you're online, you're staying warm and dry. Uh, And it's great that we are warm and dry here on site as well. I had a look out this morning at our little drain that runs along the side of the building and it's working, yay! (laughs) Congratulations. Uh, We did it, or the builders did it. Uh, So just a few leaks in our building, uh, but not the troublesome one, which is very good news. Um, It's great to be with you here this morning. My name's Roxanne, I'm one of the associate pastors here um, at GBC. And as Beck stated earlier, we have returned to the parables of Jesus in 
18, uh, this time Matthew chapter 18. And uh, I know we've got some kids in here. Uh, and if you don't already have an activity sheet in your child or you just really like mindfulness activities, there's a, a comic strip on the front page that we're going to actually give kids a prize if they can recreate the story in comic form. So the pressure is on. Uh, prizes are at stake. So if you haven't got one of those, you can grab that out through the door. If you've got preschoolers and in creche kids, I believe the, the preschool and creche program is still running as well upstairs. So if that's uh, something that you'd like to take advantage of, please do. Uh, and then also, if your kids get a bit uh, noisy and, um, and you think, oh no, well, let's go for a little break, but hopefully they won't, and hopefully they'll listen, because that's really important for kids to listen to church. But we also have our parent room, the mezzanine area, and the lounge outside, which streams the service. So all bases are covered. Well, we are having a look, as we said, at Matthew's Gospel today and the parable of the unmerciful servant. This part of the Bible actually takes place in a section where Jesus is talking about relationships between people. Uh, he's talking about how do we, as a community of believers, how do we deal with one another? How do we, um, how do we manage each other? So there's things like, you know, uh, what happens if someone stumbles? What happens if um, somebody runs away? Uh, what happens if there's an argument? How do we make amends? What do we do if people sin against us? And so this parable starts with actually um, Peter coming to Jesus and saying, um, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? And, uh, and Peter, I love Peter. You all know I love Peter. <laughs> I don't know who else loves Peter. But Peter, God love him. He's amazing because in those days, rabbis would say, they would say, you know what? If someone sins against you, three strikes and they're out. That's probably sufficient, what the rabbis would say. You know, someone does it once, twice, three times after that. You can pretty much bet there's not a lot of repentance going on. So three strikes, move on. But Peter, he knows Jesus is a bit different, doesn't he? He's got Jesus and he's like, well, hang on, haha, <laughs> got this Jesus. What about I double it and add one? And also seven's a pretty holy number, right? Uh, so maybe we'll just go with seven times. And Jesus says, nah, nah, Peter, that is not what we're doing. We're blowing that out of the water. And Jesus says, don't forgive someone just seven times, but instead forgive them 77 times or, or seven times seven, some translations do. And I don't think Jesus means us to get to like, you know, 75, 76, 77, you're out. Like that's not what's going on here. I think it's actually just unlimited, extravagant, radical, radical forgiveness is, is the kind of thing. And so Jesus, being Jesus, tells the story and he does the, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king. Now, the first century uh, listeners of this story would have put this straight into a context. And let me help us land ourselves in the first century as we're listening to this parable of Jesus. So he says, it's like he's like a king, probably not a Jewish king, probably a Gentile king, maybe like a pharaoh of Egypt, that kind of person. Has, um, wants to settle accounts with his servants. And by servants, we're probably looking at people who have major roles in a government department. That's, that's the kind of thing. You remember when Joseph got taken into slavery in Egypt and he was given you know, a whole bunch of the land to, to manage? Probably a little bit more like that than just um, a guy with a farm. Um, so this servant comes, he begins to settle accounts. And we find out there's one servant of the king who owes 10,000 bags of gold. And they think it might have been something like 10,000 talents. Now, talent, you might have remembered from the parable of the talents when Jesus says a man gets talents and they bury the talents. 
Account was the largest denomination of money you could get in the ancient world. It was a stonking great amount, right? It was huge. And 10,000 talents was, was almost an unimaginable figure, right? It's the Bill Gates-style, Elon Musk-y kind of wealth figure. It's a GDP of a small nation figure. Um, Joseph, uh, Josephus, sorry, uh, who is a Jewish historian, says that in one year, everything was so expensive that the whole land of Judea had to pay the amount of 600 talents off to, to Rome. Now, that's the tax they had to pay, 600 talents in a whole year. And this is a whole land. Well, this is one guy, not 600 talents, 10,000 talents. In fact, they worked out that if a la an average labourer, an average worker, had to earn 10,000 talents, it would take them 100 million days to pay this, right? Ridiculous, ridiculous, the man of rest of debt. So he comes and the, uh, the servant then um, is brought before him and the master says, well, you're not able to pay, I'm gonna order that, that you, everything you have, your wife, your kids, you, everything, you gotta be put <laughs> into, uh, you're gonna be sold off and, and I'm going to recoup a little bit of the money that you owe me. Just sell you off, that's it, everything about you, and I'm going to recoup a tiny fraction of what you owe me. Um, but then, of course, the servant falls on his knees and before him and begs him and says, be patient with me, be patient with me, and I will pay back everything. Okay, that's a bit of a record scratch moment there. That's a little bit of a what? Is he insane? Like, he can never pay back what he owes the king. It will take a hundred million days. I don't know how many lifetimes that is. You do the math on that. Uh, but he can never repay what he owes. He's be patient with me. I'm going to pay it all back. Uh-uh, he can't. No way. Not going to happen. So at this point in the parable, the first century listeners, and I think us too, we kind of go, okay, this isn't really a story about a king, is it? Because this is ridiculous. And we start to get the picture that there's the king is God and we're the man. We are the people who owe such a debt to God, who, who are so distant to God by the virtue of our sin, by what we have done, that nothing we can do can ever pay back or reconcile or be forgiven by God. There is nothing we can do. And we start to get the picture about who we are and who God is. Um, and that's true, the ancient world looked at God and sin and they looked at it in terms of economics and they said, okay, um, rather than, we, we talk about sin and a broken relationship, but they often looked at it in terms of economics. It, our sin is a debt that we owe God. We owe God something, we haven't paid God something and there's a debt there. That's the sort of understanding that, that they would have had. And certainly that is true for us. Like how God is holy, 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 the song we have just sung. He is Lord God Almighty. And he is so far um, above us and so holy and us as broken, sinful creatures, we cannot at all ever in our own power, even if we fall on our knees and beg, even if we work hard for a hundred million days, we can never be fixing our relationship with God on our own. We can be the best person in the world, but because God is so holy and we are so sinful, there is nothing we can do to repay our debt, to fix our broken relationship with God. That's the position we're in. But fortunately, we see here 
in verse 27, when the man falls on his knees, the king or the servant's master takes pity on him, cancels the debt and lets him go. In some translations, it says the king had compassion on him, freed him and and just forgave the debt. He just turns around and forgives him. And we know that's us because we know that God sent Jesus to pay the debt for us, to be the one who would um, pay for what we couldn't do, to take our sin and shame and guilt on him and pay for it. And so when we now come before God on our knees and say, God, forgive us, then God is able to say yes and have compassion on us and forgive us and free us and let us go because of what Jesus has done. So that's who we are in the story. And the first century listeners would have been kind of listening to this. Now, that's not the end of the parable though, is it? Because in the parable, the servant goes out and sees somebody else who um, has money owing to them. And the the amount, it says here, is 100 silver coins. It would have maybe been about a third of a year that the average worker would have had to, to work in order to earn 100 silver coins. So he's been forgiven like 100 million days, but this is like 100 days of work, okay? So it's fractional. It's, um, it's the distance between Sydney and Melbourne from the point of view of the sun, okay? It's just very, very little compared to this. And it's possible to pay that back. You wouldn't have the money straight away, this servant. You wouldn't be able to sort of pull out of his pocket and go, here's a third of my annual wage for you uh, that I owe you, but it could have been paid back. And the servant does the same thing, falls to his knees and begs him, be patient with me and I will pay it back, which he could. But the man refused. And instead he has him thrown into prison. He doesn't even sell him off. He has him thrown into prison where there was no hope of even earning the 100 days to pay the debt back. Absolutely no hope. And it would have been in the first century up to the friends and the family to do a whip around to get the money to get the guy out of prison. That's, that's what would have happened. Um, So there he is in jail and of course he gets dobbed in by the fellow servants. So they come to the king and they say to the king, uh, this is what happened. Well, the master is very unimpressed. He calls him wicked, he explains what's happened and, um, and then of course he says, shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And his anger, he handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. The king was a benevolent, giving, generous king. And in an honour and shame society, that's a really big deal. It would have been high social capital and status for that king to be known as, did you hear about the king? There was a man who owed him like 10,000 talents and he's so benevolent and good, he just, he just forgave him. He just forgave him. And the the land would have heard about it and in an honour and shame culture, that's high honour. That's a way of of increasing your honour in that society. But here, the servant has shamed the king. He's brought disrepute and shame and maligned the name of the king. It reflected very poorly on the king. And not only did it reflect poorly on the king, but also he's in jail, so he can't work for the king, so he's down an employee. So bad, bad, bad all around. No wonder the king is in such a state. And Jesus ends this this, uh, humorous and strange parable with these words. He says, 
This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Wow, Jesus, talk about a kidney punch at the end. That's powerful. And I think the first century listeners would have gone from being engaged and listening and laughing and, and, uh, and just at the ludicrousness of it to this pointy end of the parable where Jesus says, that's you. And this is the expectation that we forgive. <whistles> Difficult for us to take, isn't it? It's a big message and it's really hard for us to take. I wanna say, say five things about what forgiveness is. Um, and, um, and why I think it might be so important for Jesus that we be people who reflect him and forgive as he forgave us. Firstly, I wanna say that forgiveness is about a reversal of the curse. It's a curse reverse. In the beginning of the story, when Peter says to Jesus, how many times should I forgive? What about seven times? And Jesus says, no, what about 70 times seven or 77 times? Um, that language there of seven times seven or 77 times, depending on the translation, that's not the first term, time the first century audience has heard that. That's not, that's not the first time they would have heard those numbers and that phrasing. It would have been really familiar to them because way back at the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter four, somebody uses the exact same words, the 70 times seven, 77 times. And it's a man by the name of Lamech, um, very early on in the Bible. Adam and Eve have been in the garden. They've done the wrong thing. God's cast them out of the garden. They've had children, Cain and Abel. And Cain has risen up and killed Abel. So sin is spread. The first murder has occurred. And God puts a mark on Cain and says, Cain, I'm going to send you out, but I'm putting a mark on you. And anyone who, who hurts you, I'm going to avenge you seven times and sends out Cain, and Cain has descendants, and one of his descendants is a man named Lamech, who we're looking at. Lamech's a bit of a greedy guy. He's the first person to marry two women. <laughs> so he's, he's all about himself. And Lamech, in the spread of sin, as sin's going out in, 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 in the world, um, he kind of exponentially set, sends the sin on. And he says to his wives, Lamech says to his wives, Adam, and Zillah, Adah and Zillah, listen to me, wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech is avenged 77 times. So here's Lamech, 77 times. The spread of sin, there you see it, right? And what happens for Jesus? Is Jesus is like, no, we're not spreading it out. 77 times, we're forgiving it. We're reversing it. It's the end of the curse. We're not spreading this out. We're stopping it. It's not like a ricochet. It's gonna hit everyone. We're gonna absorb it. We're gonna forgive it. It's new, it's different. We're changing it. God is the one who forgives. Second thing, it's a spiritual discipline to forgive. It's a spiritual discipline to forgive. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. In Matthew, Mark eleven twenty five, Jesus says, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive 
so that you will be forgiven. And the scripture is filled, it speaks in one voice, the New Testament speaks in one voice of saying, freely you've been forgiven, freely forgive. And the expectation on believers is that once we have been forgiven, we must forgive others. And that can mess with our head a little bit because we think it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how we live. It doesn't matter um, what we do. But according to Jesus and the New Testament, it matters. It matters that we forgive. The famous scholar N.T. Wright says, ironically enough, as me coughing my lungs up, he says that forgiveness is a little bit like lungs. <laughs> it's like breath in our lungs. And as we breathe in, we can only breathe in so much before we must breathe it out. He says forgiveness is like that. And if we breathe in God's forgiveness and try and hold on, it's not life, it's death. So forgiveness is a spiritual discipline. And as we follow the example of Jesus, as we receive forgiveness, like our lungs, we got to give it out. And um, that's how it works for those who want to be like Jesus. The third thing I want to say about forgiveness, it's beneficial for society and for yourself. It's beneficial. A friend of mine um, works in northern Uganda, in Gulu, works with former child soldiers. And um, child soldiers, as you probably aware, have had to commit atrocities under the threat of death. And um, there's a lot of trauma and shame and difficulty for people who've been through a war in that way. In that way. And so they say to the former child soldiers, forgiveness is, operates a little bit like a snake in, in Uganda. And they say, you can be bitten by a snake and you've got two choices. And here's your choice. You can run after the snake, pick it up, bite it back. That's what you can do, but you're both gonna die. Or you can let the snake go and you can deal with the wound. You can deal with the wound. And forgiveness is about dealing with the wound. And it's good for society because like Lamech, it's not multiplying out, it's absorbing and forgiving that. It's also very good for ourselves. There's actually been studies, peer-reviewed studies, where people have actually said um, that about forgiveness, that when we forgive, when we forgive, it actually does something to our mental health. Um, it's actually beneficial for us. Forgiveness is beneficial. It is something that is good for us. These peer-reviewed studies look at what is going on in our minds, in our bodies. And there is correlation after correlation between forgiving people after trauma and difficulty and pain and struggle and the effect it has on anxiety, depression and our mental health. And not only that, they've actually now found that forgiving people in studies actually correlates to physical well-being. Things like heart attacks and ulcers. Our physical body is actually made stronger and better when we forgive. So forgiveness is beneficial. It's a curse reverse. It's a spiritual discipline. It's beneficial. It's also an act of will. Forgiveness will often come before feelings. Um, it is something that we must decide to do as followers of Jesus. Forgiveness is a will and an action, not an emotion. And we'll have to often do it first. And in this, I'm reminded very much of a Dutch lady called Corrie ten Boom. A great name, huh? Corrie ten Boom. Um, and she was actually in a concentration camp in World War II called Ravensbrück. 
She was there with her sister, and uh, her sister died just before the end of the war, just before the concentration camp was released. It was the most tragic thing to happen in, in Corrie Ten Boom's life. And um, so she, as a Christian, had to cling on to the Lord in this concentration camp and face all the indignities and suffering that you would imagine in a concentration camp. She went on to be a speaker and to teach people about Jesus and to share the gospel and travelled around the world. And one time she was talking about the power of forgiveness and, uh, and speaking about the gospel and in a place and a man walked in and he was wearing just a hat, and a, a, an overcoat and a hat, post-World War fashions. And he came in, but she recognised him. Immediately she recognised him because he was a guard at the concentration camp Ravensbrück that she was in. And she said immediately in that moment, she stopped seeing him in the hat and the overcoat and saw him in his uniform. And she felt like she was immediately transported back to the place of pain and shame and suffering and hunger. And she looked at him and she continued her, her talk. He didn't recognise her at all. And in the end, he came up to her and said, Fräulein, Fräulein Ten Boom, I want to thank you because he said, I was a guard in a concentration camp called Ravensbrück. And he said, and, and after the war, I had an encounter with Jesus, had an encounter with the risen Lord Jesus, and, and I'm a Christian, and I have asked for his forgiveness over and over, and he has forgiven me, but I'm looking at you now, Fraulein, as somebody you've said in your message that you were in this concentration camp. And he said, so I wanna ask you, will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? <sighs> so. This is what Corrie Ten Boom had to say. <clears throat> it could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand to hand, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I have ever had to do. For I had to do it, I knew it. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Oh, I knew it, not only as a command of God, but as a daily experience. And I stood there with a the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the heart. Jesus, help me. I prayed silently. You can lift my hand. I know that much. You supply the feeling. And so she says, woodenly, mechanically, she thrust her hand out into the one stretched out to me. And she says, as she did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm and sprang into our joint hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. And for a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. And I've never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Corrie Ten <clears throat> forgiveness is an act of the will. And it's not a feeling. Although sometimes the feeling will go after. It's an act of obedience. It's a reverse of the curse. It's a spiritual discipline. It's beneficial. It's an act of the will. But also the last thing I want to say is forgiveness is powerful. Forgiveness is incredibly powerful. And I didn't know that we were going to start hearing about Nelson Mandela in our service today. But Nelson Mandela is, 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 is known for his forgiveness. <clears throat> and quotes over the things that he has had to forgive after 27 years as a political prisoner in South Africa. And he himself says that forgiveness is powerful. 
because it changes our heart and our soul. And I want to say that forgiveness is powerful for us. When God forgives us, he displays immense power. And sometimes our society and our world seems to think that if we forgive someone, it's a weakness. That if we forgive someone, we're we're letting someone get away with it. But I think it's clear that forgiveness is about our internal work and not about them. It's not that there's no consequences for action. There's still consequences when, when God forgives us, Jesus bears the brunt of it. The consequences are on Jesus. And it's not like when we forgive someone, that means we remove all boundaries and step into the relationship the way it once was. That's not always gonna be the case. Certainly not this side of heaven. And sometimes when we forgive somebody what they have done to us, um, we have to be extraordinarily wise and careful that we don't place ourselves in a place where we can hurt. Doesn't mean that forgiveness is limited, but the power to injure us again must be limited in certain cases. So forgiveness is powerful. It does things in our world, it does things in our lives, and it's powerful because it's something that God does to us. And God is powerful. A famous theologian called Lewis B. Smeads, um, who's a Californian Christian theologian and author, um, says a quote which you actually hear, not in church circles, but you hear it on the internet and you hear it in the secular world. Um, and it says that forgiveness is to set the prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. Forgiveness is powerful. Well, church, forgiven people are forgiving people, aren't they? That's the character of God. God forgave us an immeasurable amount. And, and for us, we need to be people who are forgiving and who need to work on that forgiveness because it reverses the curse. It draws us closer to God as a spiritual discipline. It's good for society and good for us. Oh, sometimes it takes an act of will, but it's powerful. And it's powerful because God is powerful and God does that. Let me, um, let me, let me pray for us and as the band comes up. Um, girls come up, sorry, um, just before we worship. And um, as, as I pray for us, um, for forgiveness, I'm just going to read from Ephesians chapter four um, about the way we should be forgiving. So let me read that and then I'll pray. Ephesians chapter four, verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, I just want to thank you for this parable, Lord, the parable of uh, the amazing king and the unmerciful servant. And as we, your church, come before you now, Lord God, we're in awe of how you've forgiven us. There is nothing that we could have done, Lord Jesus, to, to befriend you again, to be reconciled to you, Lord God. Nothing. We could live a thousand years and, and never be good enough for you. But Lord, in your great love and your mercy, you sent Christ, you sent Lord Jesus, and you made a way. And as we come before you, Lord God, you have compassion on us. 
you forgive us our debt and you set us free. And Lord, you ask us to do the same to those around us. God, we wanna reflect you. We wanna be like you in this world. God, we wanna be people who who are that loving and that compassionate and that giving. But like Corrie ten Boom, Lord God, when faced with that former Nazi guard, we know we can't do it without you. We can't do it without your Holy Spirit. We can't do it in our own power. So Lord God, as, as we're thinking about people that we might need to forgive or situations that have hurt us, Lord, we bring them before your throne. We bring them before the foot of the cross. We say, Jesus, we can't do this without you. We know it's good, we know it's right, but Lord, we need you in this. Lord, will you go before us? Lord, will you help us to forgive as you forgave us? Will you do a miracle in our lives, Lord God, and as we search our hearts and come before you, if we do hold anything before anyone, Lord, I pray that you will help make that known to us, that we might repent and that we might forgive in order that we might be more holy, just as you are holy. We pray this because we want to see your church flourish, your name be glorified, and your praises lifted on high. Amen. Forgiveness can be incredibly difficult at times. However, it's something that God demonstrates over and over to us. And the expectation is that we do likewise as we follow Jesus as our Saviour, Example and Lord. I hope you were challenged, blessed and encouraged in your faith by this message today and that God used this to draw you closer to Him.